are listening to episode seven of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. In this episode, The Persuasive Leader, part one. Please excuse the background noise in this episode. We are in the middle of an office move and we're making the best of it. Hi, I'm Sharon. And I'm Diana. And we're going to be talking about leadership in organizations. We decided last time when we were talking that mm -hmm. it might be good to follow up that conversation with talking more specifically about uh, what some people would call the, the art of persuasion. Yeah. Right? Yes. Right. So it reminded me that there was an article written some number of years ago uh, turns out 1998 anyway uh, by Jay Conger who talked about uh, persuasion so I went and looked it up um, mm -hmm. don't think I re would remember <laughs> all of this detail otherwise right, right. but um, Jay w was I, I don't think that he probably still is my hunch is that he's probably retired now but he was a professor um, and a very prolific a writer about leadership and mm -hmm. leaders mm -hmm. in the 90s and mm -hmm. you know around the turn of the century. <laughs> that sounds silly. Anyway, um, he did this study um, about uh, persuasion that mm -hmm. I thought really was quite interesting. And it, it came out of 12 years of watching people. He identified several groups of people he wanted to study. And one was um, 23 senior business leaders who he regarded as really effective change agents. And he, you know, using that as his, okay, what, what's mm -hmm. the measure here? He looked at how these people used language to engage other people, motivate other people um, to move in the direction that they wanted. Then he looked at a group of cross-functional team leaders. And so these people, of course, were lower or middle level managers. Mm -hmm. And he looked at their use of language. Mm -hmm. And then he um, evidently went to the literature and looked at what's been written historically. All the research yeah, and yeah, the yeah. writings. All yeah. the historic uh, stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then he selected, based on some of that, he selected um, 14 managers who he studied over time, who were known for their persuasive skills. Mm. And so they, they were more like middle managers or? That third group? Yeah. Yeah, uh, they were more like middle managers. And he, he studied them by sitting in on meetings, by looking at, can you imagine this, you know, reading their memorandums and, you know, right. tracking their word use and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, much more patience than you or I would ever have, but okay. But interesting work. Interesting I can imagine work. that being pretty fascinating. Yeah. So he, out of that, he came to, um, you know, a series of insights, which mm -hmm. he captured in um, at least one really good article, and, and I don't know what else he might have published subsequently. I, I think it's worth recapping some of that. Yes. So, yes. you know, one of the things he talks about is that while we, um, while we often use the term persuasion with respect to um, selling products or, or like closing a deal, right. that um, in reality, persuasion um, 
is is mm, it, it is that, but it's more than that. Yeah. Um, it becomes the way he defines it. He says effective persuasion becomes a negotiating and learning process through which a persuader leads colleagues to a problem's shared solution. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's an interesting definition, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Well, and what's because it's not manipulative, well, it's not deceptive, it's yeah. not tricky. Well, and as a um, I don't know, a tangent for me who's, mm -hmm. who likes to play around with words. Yeah. It sounds like persuasion or persuade is actually the verb that goes with the noun influence. Yeah. As opposed to what we probably have done, which is turn influence also into a verb. And right. talk about influencing. It's really when we want to influence someone, we need to persuade. Exactly. Yeah. And so Exactly. That's, that's, that's what I came yeah, to as well right. when I was reading this, that, yeah. you know, that it was, in essence, in his languaging, that you, you were not separating them but that it was persuading was the behavior right. that you show, um, and it's a skill set yeah. in order to have influence. Right. Yeah. 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 So he says that there are. It's what? Just fascinating, and that's just interesting to me. Yeah. 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 So he says that there are well, and 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 just while we're on that aspect of it, if you accept that definition. How is that different than what we talk about when we talk about consensus, collaboration? You know, they're they're quite closely aligned, aren't they? Yes, yes, that's what I was thinking. That he's he's talking about persuasion as a way of leading people to a shared solution, solution, a shared understanding. That sounds a lot like collaborating toward consensus to me. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And and um, seeking common ground. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So well, we can come back to whether it's important to differentiate. Yeah. Yeah. But um, maybe it's also important sometimes to realize that there are multiple ways to describe something yes. and that this isn't all new. Right. You know, we don't have to keep like reinventing. Right. We already know a lot of a this. lot of things, yeah. right? And we know how to do things when yeah. we really sort of analyze what's being asked here. Yeah, humans have not changed all that much. <laughs> yeah, you think? Yeah. Okay, so um, he talks about the four ways not to persuade. Oh. So, should we start with those? Uh, what we or? would call in software the anti-patterns. Yes, the, the anti-patterns anti of persuasion. Yes. yes. So, so people, he says, who, who are trying to persuade but fail miserably at doing it, right. kind of display four common mistakes. Maybe that's another way to, to look yeah. at this. And so here, here's what he um, posits are the, are the mistakes. Um, when you attempt too hard to make your case right up front with the hard sell, mm -hmm. sort of the John Wayne, you yeah. know, my this, way or the highway. Yeah, my, yeah. this is what we're gonna do, boys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that won't that won't work. You know, um, that by resisting compromise. 
can I can I pause you a minute? Sure, of course. Is he talking primarily? Do you think here about persuading peers or persuading up <laughs> to use the kind of pyramid metaphor, or persuading the troops, or is this just general? Do you think this? This is was general. General, just it, no matter who you're trying to persuade, right? That kind of my way or the highway doesn't work, right? Or is is less likely to be effective. Well, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and of course, let's see. I think that's interesting. If it if it applies to everyone, what what makes that more interesting? Um, because I think we have a myth in our culture that if you're talking to your peers or you're trying to persuade your boss. You have to be, you know, more politically savvy, more subtle. But if you're talking to the people who report to you, you can just tell them what to do. That would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I, yeah. you know, that's what he's saying there. Yes, if this applies across the board, right? That would be wrong. Well, so and it's I, a myth busting. It's myth busting, yes. and and of course he made the point when he wrote this, and it's even more true now that as we've moved away from a command and control and a top-down kind of model, that even with subordinates, yeah. you still have to get them on board. Yeah. You can't just tell them. Yeah. It will not work. I mean, culturally, that's just not the way right. people expect to be treated anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, it, yeah. it, I think... And so this is all consistent with the leaderful model that we were talking yes. about earlier with the stewardship yeah. model of leadership, with the right. servant leadership, right. all those kind of new ideas about... Which are not so what, new, but yeah. What, which are not so new, evidently, but that we're talking that the people from Stos are talking about. Yep. Um, you know, all of that is is the same sort of set of concepts. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're the same things that you and I have gravitated towards, you know. Yeah, for 20 years or more. Or more. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, so, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring something into the discussion that was inconsistent right. with that because it wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah. resonate with me and it wouldn't resonate with the kind of people that we know are listening to these right. podcasts. So, right. okay. okay. So, so resisting compromise um. and... And the idea behind that is that, you know, so many people view compromise as surrender. Yeah, as it's lose-lose, not win-win. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and he, he makes the point that before people um, are going to buy into a proposal or an idea, that they want to know that the person that's presenting it is taking their views, their needs into concern. So mm -hmm. even if it's a minor concession, if you mm -hmm. will, or a minor tweak, that people can see their can see their their fingerprint in there yes. somewhere. Yes. yes. Um yeah. and and that's certainly been our experience. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there was some additional research done um at the University of Southern California by a woman named Kathleen Reardon who pointed out that um, a persuader rarely changes someone else's behavior or viewpoint without altering his or her own a little bit in the process. Yeah. And that's the aspect of having your someone having their fingerprint in yeah. there 
that I didn't really tease out separately, but I can see now that what that does is convey to the person who needs the fingerprint in that the person attempting to persuade them has, you know, received and heard the other person's point of view and that they have been persuaded themselves to make some kind of a change or a modification. Well, I, that's collaborative behavior, right? right? We're, going to, we're going to work on this together. We're going to come to a shared solution. Right. I'm not going to just persuade you that mine is the right way. Exactly. Yeah, right. that makes right. a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. So, so that the, it, it really feels like a two-way street as opposed to just a one-way street. or right. a, you know, And I guess even if it's 90-10, right. that 10 still has validity. Right. Yeah. Well, and that reminds me also of the the tenets, I guess, around active listening in the sense of when you're in a conversation, almost a lot of conversations are about persuading somebody about something. Mm -hmm. And um, even if it's just, you know, persuading about where to go to dinner in sure. a restaurant or whatever. But... Um, but that if, if I know in my own life, if I have the sense that the other person is listening to me only so that they can notice when I take a breath so they can say the thing they were going to say anyway. Sure. Versus someone who I can tell by their response to anything I say that they have actually considered what I said and incorporated that. I mean, that's a part of that Absolutely. as well. So there's a real link with those, those pieces. Yeah. Yeah. In that one. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so a, a third yeah. point that he brings up is that the, um, is that a mistake that people make is thinking that you can persuade people if you only have you know, great arguments. Um, oh, right. The data. The data. The data. It's all <laughs> the about data the data. Will do it. Yes. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and, and that whole business about not, he doesn't use this language, but, you know, we, we, John Cotter's language about yeah. appealing to hearts right. as well as minds. Right. Um, but yeah, people who are totally data driven and think it's all about the data. Yeah. Um, and the most important thing that I thought that he that he teased out is that uh, people often believe that persuasion is a one shot deal, uh -huh. as opposed to seeing it as a process. a process. And I would not have that thought that way. Just I I just never quite yeah got. I, I never thought about it quite that well, way, and but of course it, that's true. It totally resonates with the human systems dynamics adaptive action piece that that this, as well as, well as some of the other things that you're talking about here, that, that what happens is that the persuading happens through emergence, right? Both parties bringing their points of view, each one of influencing the other to some degree and and the shared understanding emerges and that that's a, a iterative 
process. Right. Right. It's not just going to happen just because, which it was his first, the first mistake he told, said, mentioned here is, I'm just going to tell you how it's going to be. Right. Right. <laughs> which is right. the, which is the one step. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So more dynamical. <laughs> more dynamical in, in changing a person's mind than right. the static one step kind well, of change. and if you think about the yeah. whole notion of change William Bridges model yeah. where he very clearly talks about change being a process yes. if we think about persuasion as a tool to gain influence and you say if that's happening something is changing in the yeah. Process. Learning is happening. Right. It, it, it's it, linked to learning as well. It yeah. surely should be viewed as a process yeah. rather than a one-shot yeah. one deal. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. yes. Then he so, goes on. Which makes me wonder how many people are persuaded by listening to one debate. In our presidential elections, don't get <laughs> We're, started. Okay, we won't go there. <laughs> so what is he? So those are the four things not to do. Don't look at it as a one step. Um, the resistance. Yeah. Um, don't resist compromising. Oh right. Don't resist comp. Be, be willing to compromise. Right. In other words, don't resist that because right. that's going to have to be a part of it. Right. Um, the the idea that. <coughs> Um, Sorry. So what was the third one? Being totally data-driven. Oh, data, the data-driven one, and then the last one, which is, you know, you have, it's a process. It's a process, it's, it's not so an event. A, yeah, thinking of it as a one-step. I'm going to tell you how it goes. I, it's going to be my way or the highway, mm -hmm. and it's all about the facts, ma'am. Right. Those four things are not going to get you what you want. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. So then, of course, the yeah. obvious question is, what does he say? What does he say to do? To yeah. do, yeah. So Is he, it more than just the opposites of those things? No. Yeah. Um, no, not at all. Yeah. He says the first thing that a really effective persuader has to do is establish credibility. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can have credibility because you, um, you have expertise, you know, you have credibility because you've studied the problem and mm -hmm. therefore you have expertise or whatever. But that if you don't have credibility, it's very hard to persuade people, yeah. really. And that makes sense, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, for many reasons. And we could go back to the debate. So, for so, <laughs> well, so a lesson for leaders in that is to uh, really pay attention to what makes... You know, if I if if I'm in a leadership role, what is it that makes me credible? What are my kind of unique credibility footprints, which aren't going to be the same for everyone? Right. Um, and and having some self awareness around that, so that I I can protect it and nurture my credibility with other folks. Right, and you can yeah. have you can have expertise credibility, or you right. can have relationship credibility. Right. So, you know, when I want to know certain things or want to bounce certain things, I mean, I, I very much am aware of one or the other or both right. of those things, right. you know, and I'm sure you are too. Sure. Um, yeah. And there are people that you just know based on the relationship, um, 
are the people that you're going to believe. Yeah. So, okay. So, so um, that was the first step. Secondly, he says, um, uh, identifying common ground mm -hmm. with those that you want to persuade yeah. is vital. Mm -hmm. That makes sense too. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so if you think about a leader trying to uh, persuade people why the organization is going to take a certain shift in direction mm -hmm. or why they have to lay people off or wh why whatever, um, clearly you, you want to reaffirm the things that unite you and bind you and, and give you common ground. And demonstrate that we're all in this together. Right. We're all trying to do yeah. X. Right. Um, because we believe in this, um, and in order to get there, we have to take this step. Well, and that's certainly what we've seen, is that um, in, in many organizations where a leader has mm -hmm. stepped up to say, you know, we're, I'm going to persuade all of you, not, not literally, right. not literally, right. but, but um, I'm going to persuade all of you that this big change that's coming, this right-sizing or this whatever change in technology that we're going to do um this is all this is going to be great for all of you but us in the executive suite will be exempt from it mm -hmm. right our pay won't be cut right our jobs aren't on the line right our, you know and and then they can't figure out they got the facts about why this change needs to happen and they can't figure out why people don't jump up and down with glee and and run to help out yeah right and yeah. why people are become cynical and and less motivated mm -hmm. by um you know after those kinds of pronouncements right yeah right um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the third, uh, the third and fourth points go right along with that. The third point is that, um, his suggestion, well, his observation is that they reinforce their position using very vivid language mm -hmm. and compelling evidence. Um, and that's not data. Yeah. Uh, it's stories. Yes. Storytelling, yeah. Steve, Story Steve Denning's been talking about that for years. Yeah, so we're gonna yeah. talk about that more. Yeah, you know, in, in an future. upcoming. Yeah, uh, but but um, when I first read that point, I thought, well, wait, he just said, you know, we don't want data. So what is he talking about? And I he went on to describe how you know using very um, vivid language that people can really where they see pictures um, and yeah. by painting a, by telling a story, yeah. you know, you help paint a picture. And the four, and that leads right into the fourth point, which is connecting emotionally with yeah. their audience. Right. You gotta feel your pain. Right? Well, that's and true. And feel mine, right? That's yeah. true. And help you feel mine, I need to feel yours. Think right. about, think, yeah. when you say that, I immediately, as probably most Everybody does. Think of Bill Clinton. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I feel your pain. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it's an accident that despite all the crap, Bill Clinton is still the, one of the most popular politicians, if not the most popular politician right. in America. He is regarded as sort of the wise elder statesman. Yeah. And, and we don't have a ton of those. 
Uh, we never did. That's right. Yeah. We never did. Right. But he certainly is that role yeah. now. Yeah. And people love him. Well, what do they love about him? He, more than a lot of other people, really did somehow connect emotionally yeah. with people. Right. Well, and actually, Reagan did that as well. And I think that was a... That's true. I mean, while you know, we, know. we may or may not agree with one or the other of them... Right. They both were good at telling stories and good at connecting with people emotionally. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's not just a matter of telling stories because yeah. I watched that debate, which I normally wouldn't do because they give oh, me... Oh, the most recent The one. most yeah. recent one because yeah. they normally make me so crazy. I It's not worth the stress, but... Well, so it was the I, debate that was the first week of October... Yes. This year. Right. For, for Yeah. Right. Because I'm not sure when this is. There right. may have been another debate by the time this That's podcast true. comes out. So. But it was the first presidential yeah. debate. Yeah. And each of them did tell a story. And the stories were not compelling to me. Yeah. They were so brief that they really didn't feel like they had much heart. And they they were... They were actually very similar in a way, you know. I was campaigning in such a... And I met this person who told me yes. Well, there's a formula. Right. You know they're following a formula. Well, yeah, yeah. that that yeah. wasn't compelling at all. That's not, in my view, good storytelling. Right. Um, so... Well, so that's a, some, that's another aspect of this then. That, probably, that vivid language mm -hmm. piece that you were talking about can't be formulaic. Yeah. It has to be sincere. It has to be relevant to this moment in time and sincere. Well, sure. And, and I think and, and that, a lot of people look for, well, what's the checklist for how I should be getting persuasive. my vivid language and being persuasive? So and that doesn't that go right back to the yeah. first point about yeah. credibility? Right. And part of credibility is being authentic. Yeah. And if you don't come across as authentic, then... I think it really impacts your credibility. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you, you, people have to believe that you believe what, what yeah. you're talking about, right. or what, what you say you experienced. Right. So, you know, when, when somebody says, well, I was campaigning and Mrs. So-and-so came up to me in Grand Rapids and said, I haven't been able to find a job in three years and I really felt bad for her. I was like, uh-huh, really? <laughs> I mean, it's just How not... How bad for her did you feel? <laughs> really? Did you say, you know, call us up and we'll find a position? I mean, yes, you know, right. it just comes off as just right. another little yeah. tidbitty thing. It just it didn't feel very... Checkbox. Yeah. I mean, those, those kinds of stories now seem like checkboxes to me. Right. Everybody's got to have one. Right. This is mine. Right. For right. At the beginning, yeah. they were good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when that was new, when, when it wasn't it was the new. formula. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know when that was. It was like before I was born, maybe. But... No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, actually, I think that happened sometime like in the 70s. Really? Yeah, it seems like it. Maybe. I don't know. Wow. Maybe they were telling those kind of stories before. Maybe that's just when I started paying attention. That's the end of part one of this conversation on The Persuasive Leader. Keep listening next week for the continuation. Do you have any questions or comments about this episode? We love to hear them. Feel free to leave a comment on our blog or email us, leadershippodcast at gmail.com. 
This has been Episode 7 of Partnerships and Possibilities, a podcast on leadership. Thanks for listening.